Matthew chapter number six. And I've got an interesting question to start off this morning. Very interesting question. It's a good one for you to think about. And I may, I may should have posted it uh, early so that you could be thinking about it, but I didn't think about doing that. But I'm going to I'll give you a minute to think about it. The question is this. What would you do for a billion dollars? What would you do for a billion dollars? There was a poll taken not long ago. And the question on the poll was simply, what would you do for a million dollars? And so I upped the ante a little bit. What would you do for a billion? Now, the poll that was taken showed that 42% said that they would be willing to spend time in jail for a million dollars. Let alone a billion. Is there anyone in here, and you can be honest with me today, remember your Sunday school lesson was on honesty and uh, being courageous and, and being honest. Was there anyone in here who said, yeah, I would probably go to jail for a billion dollars? <laughs> Some of, yeah, some of the younger, yeah, how long? <laughs> yeah, there's a, it's not a pre-disclosed amount of time, I don't know. Um, but yeah, there were some younger men that I'm looking at your faces and you're like, that's tempting, that's tempting, that's tempting. I got a long life, that's tempting. Um, some of them even said that they would never ever see, they would choose to never see their best friend again if it was over a million dollars let alone a billion. Some of them even said, I would choose not to see my spouse again if it was for a billion dollars. <laughs> hey, don't raise your hand on that. Some said they would move permanently to a foreign country for a billion dollars. And then the question would be, which country? Um, some even said they would throw their pet off a cliff for a billion dollars. <laughs> Someone said, I'd throw someone else's pet off a cliff for a billion dollars, too. Mine and someone else's. So what I want to talk to, about, talk to you about today, uh, coming from Matthew chapter 6, and I was a little bit off in, uh, in the order of my PowerPoint, sorry, David, um, is the question this, God or stuff? God or stuff? And so if you want to title it, that's, that's what you can give today because Jesus is, is, is uh, giving some, uh, some rather uh, difficult but necessary teaching when it comes to serving God and serving our stuff. Um, uh, you know, a lot of people, when they, uh, when they inquire about someone's wealth, what do you ask the, what's the question that we ask when we inquire about someone's wealth? The question is not how much does he have, but how much are... How much are they worth? How much is this person worth? And that's some common terminology that's used. How much is this person worth? And we, and we think about people like Elon Musk, who is the richest man in the world, and, we, and they say that, he, that he's worth well over $100 billion, maybe, maybe even over uh, $200 billion, or, or others like that, as if their worth and their net assets were the same thing. And my response would be, how much are they, if, if someone asked how much are they worth, you know, Jesus would say they're priceless. 
Our society has moved in such a consumerist way that it's constantly telling us that life at its best consists of having more and more possessions and pleasures. Now, let me make sure I start off with this first and foremost. Having stuff is not a sin. If the Lord has blessed you, amen. And I will repeat that throughout today. Having stuff is not a sin. Serving it is. But the tug is so strong that, that, that a lot of us are going to try to balance the act between what the Bible teaches and what the culture and what culture tells us. And that we try to balance it between spiritual riches that God offers us in Jesus and worldly treasures that cannot feed our soul. And sadly, uh, some of us, we lose our balance. Many have lost their balance, and the results are devastating. They really are. Did you know when it comes to social issues that Jesus taught more about wealth than any other one? When it came to social issues, Jesus taught more about wealth than any other social issue. Not a spiritual issue. He taught about spiritual issues far more. But when it came to social issues like marriage or politics or work or power, he talked about wealth more than any of them. You know, I think very few people set out to live simply for wealth. And I don't think, any, I don't think many people uh, wants to live to serve their wealth. Many people want their wealth to serve them. And in fact, I would say most do, if not all. They want their wealth to serve them. And yet the love of money can gradually take control of our hearts. And it's so easy to fall into. And I'll talk about that a little bit more, about how easy it is. Uh, and, and that's the danger, that, that, that money and stuff can become a false god without us realizing it. And Jesus addresses it, addresses it here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 24. He gives us some really easy-to-remember terms and how, how you and I should relate to the world and how, how do we relate to stuff that this world offers. Uh, because the world, uh, for lack of better terms, it's booby-trapped with uh, snares more subtle than you and I could ever imagine. And so in that, the Lord provides a lot of wisdom that's going to guide us safely and profitably in serving him. So he discusses this. He, in fact, he goes into the, uh, his discussion talking about two treasures. Two treasures, and both of and those treasures are treasures on earth or, and treasures in heaven. Treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. So let's talk about the first one, treasures on earth, just for a moment. And Jesus begins with a very simple command in verse 19. He says this. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Where moth on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He forbids the hoarding of treasure, not the having of it. But the hoarding of it, there's a big difference in that. And if you want to write that down, make sure you do. He, he forbids the hoarding of it, not the having of it. And so, uh, and so, uh, and so whether, it, whether the hoarding is for self-indulgence today or whether it's for the future, Jesus is saying, do not hoard all of this stuff up. 
In looking at antiquity, especially in Jesus' time where he was speaking this, he's, he's especially talking about valuable clothes, which moths might eat. That's what he's talking about. Moths there might destroy, where moths uh, might destroy, or precious metals that could corrode to rust. And, he, and in thinking about that, look at that for a second. Moths and rust and decay. No matter what you and I have, on this earth, eventually it's going to fall apart. When it comes to material, eventually it's going to fall apart. Eventually it's going to need to be replaced. You can write this down. Rot is relentless. Rot is relentless. Wood rots. Fabric spray, metal rusts. Inflation erodes every bit of say will, will eventually erode all the savings that we have. And so it's kind of a passive harm. And then there's an active harm. Jesus says also, not only does moth and rust destroy, but also, also thieves break in and steal. Wars, fires, floods, all of that ends up destroying it. It can end up destroying everything that we have. And you know, we have burglar alarms and we have rust-proof paint and we have funds that can slow the decay of wealth, but, it's, but it will never stop it. Money flies from our hands. Let me give you this example. The average American, uh, I looked uh, this morning, uh, spends over $250 per month on subscriptions. Subscription services. Now, Younger ones, y'all are y'all can probably y'all probably know similar to what I'm talking about. Netflix and Paramount Plus and Peacock. That stuff starts to add up. Not to mention the uh, the extra storage that we have going to have on the cloud and uh, the extra storage that we that we, that we get with Google. How many of y'all have uh, the subscription services with that? Nothing wrong with it, by the way. You just got to have more storage for your stuff. Nothing wrong with it inherently. But it adds up. It adds up. And I didn't look up this number, and I probably should have. How much does the average American spend per month on fast food? Money flies out of our hands, folks. It flies out of our hands. And a lot of times, um, and, and again, I'm not against it. I'm not against banks and using debit cards. But uh, that's kind of the disadvantage to that is that, you, is that when you have cash, you actually get to see it flow from your hands. And when you're using a card, you don't get to see it go quite as easy. And so it's easier to swipe or to tap or to, or to put it in. It's easy to do that. It flows, uh, it flows from us. And even if it grows in life, it leaves us when we die because we can't take any of it with us. And by the way, Jesus isn't banning this. I'm going to say this several times. He's not banning savings. He's not banning financial planning. He's not banning uh, having a retirement plan or, or owning things. The Bible praises those who work and prepare for winter. The Bible praises those who work and prepare for lean seasons. Parents, by the way, should save for their children. You should, you should have something to leave behind for your children. The Bible expects us to use God's creation joyfully because he richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So the Bible doesn't ban having any of that. What Jesus is saying is that, this, is that he's banning this godless, uh, selfless accumulation of goods, heaping up possessions and savings beyond our ability to, to enjoy them, just having them just to have them. G James warns those in James 5.5. 5, he says, he says uh, you fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. 
That is judgment day. And that same godlessness leads us, as Jesus is pointing us out to, it leads us to to, uh, having a hard heart. That godlessness of hoarding leads to a hard heart. To, it leads us to neglect those who are in need. It leads us to, it leads us to, in our minds and in our hearts, exploit those who do not have. Jesus, he forbids that. And he warns us, don't tether your heart to this world. Don't lay up treasures in this world. He doesn't doesn't, uh, forbid uh, joyful living. He doesn't forbid financial planning. He forbids greed and love of money and and selfish luxury. And some people are consumed by this. And Christian, if you and I aren't careful, we can easily be sucked right into this trap. Easily be. And so they ask, and so some people may ask, well, how do I enjoy this world without loving it? How do I enjoy wealth without without living for it? And Jesus says this, by storing up your treasures in heaven. By storing up your treasures in heaven. He says this in verse 20, rather than storing your treasures on earth, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Whether where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. This is very simple. Jesus isn't presenting something that's insanely that's insanely profound. He says, Don't store your stuff up on earth where moth and rust destroys, and where thieves break in and steal. Store it in heaven, where moth and rust can't destroy, and where thieves can't break in and steal. It's pretty simple. It's pretty a, a simple concept there. And then he says in verse 21, for where your treasure is. There, your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we place our treasures in heaven, our heart's going to follow and be as safe as the treasure. That's an amazing thing. If we place our treasures in heaven, our heart's going to be there as well. And Jesus says that anything that is stored up in heaven is safe. So if your heart is stored up there, it's safe as well. That's a beautiful thing, an absolutely beautiful thing. The, the effects of those kind of investments last forever. We store up treasures in heaven by worshiping God. We store up treasures in heaven by growing in knowledge and grace of him. We, we store up treasures in heaven by growing in our love for God, by growing in our love for neighbor. That's how we store up treasures in heaven. We store up treasures in heaven by using the money that God has given us for kingdom causes, by, by giving to missions, by giving to those who are in need, by being generous. God blesses us with those possessions so that we can be generous with them. Not to say you can't have stuff. It's said of those who are who uh, spend a life of caring for people, they're called philanthropists. Y'all heard that word? Philanthropists. You know, that comes from two Greek words. Um, phileo, P-H-I-L, and anthropy, which means loving mankind. Jesus says if you're a Christian, everyone should be in this source, a philanthropist, loving one another. The value of material wealth, it goes up and down. It, you can, it can drive you crazy looking from day to day if you have a retirement plan. If you go on your 401k and look at it from day to day, it could drive you absolutely nuts. 
especially if there's a if there, if there's a bear market going on. Going on, look on there, and you realize you just lost twenty thousand dollars in a day. That can be terrifying. And I'm sure if you have a if you've had a retirement count a long, longer than twenty years, you've probably seen that happen at some point. Maybe not that amount, maybe more, but you've probably seen it happen, and it's absolutely terrifying. It's caused some to even take their lives. And what does Jesus say? He says, store up treasures in heaven. He says, your material wealth is going to go up. It's going to go down. It's not safe. The only true safe investment is in the kingdom of God and in God's people. And if we put our hearts, Jesus is saying, into accumulating the world's treasures, we're never going to be satisfied. And here's the, here's the, here's the crazy question, but it's, but it's so real. If this stuff never satisfies us, then how can it become a God? How can it become a God if it never satisfies us? If it never provides the enjoyment that we're truly looking for, we're always wanting more and more and more, how can it be a God? Where do I fix my eyes then, Jesus? What do I look at? And he says this. Verses 22 and 23. He says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And it, so it might seem like, like Jesus is changing the subject, by the way, here. It might seem like he's going to something different as he shifts from the heart, uh, the, the heart and the desires of the heart to the desires of the eyes that see. But in scripture, but in scriptural terms, the heart and the eyes, uh, are so closely related to one another. They were, they, they, they refer to that inner person that sets our lives' directions. Uh, look, think about Psalm 119 for a moment and how it points out the heart and the eyes and how closely they're related. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read some verses for you uh, from there, though, by the way. Uh, it said, the psalmist says in verse 10, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Let, let my heart, uh, with my whole heart I seek you. And then in verse 18 he says, Open my eyes that I can behold the wondrous things out of your law. So my heart seeks you. My eyes want to see you. Verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. So my heart, incline it to see you. Incline it to, 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 to strive after you. Verse 37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your way so you can see how the eyes and how the heart are so closely related to one another. He's saying the issues of our life proceed from the desires of our heart and, and cause our eyes to want to look for things uh, that, are the, that, that are desirous to our heart. And so in, Jesus, so in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is saying that the body finds its direction, whether good or bad, through the eyes. Whether right or wrong, the body finds its direction through what we see. And he's saying a person with good sight walks in the light. That's kind of, that's kind of a backwards to the way we think. Someone with good sight, we let them lead in the dark. But Jesus is saying someone with good sight is one who walks in the light. 
He's saying a healthy eye, this is, this is spiritual, a healthy eye, a healthy mind gives direction to all of our lives. Our eyes affect our whole body. Let me ask you this question. If you could get rid of one of your five senses, which one would you least likely be to get rid of? For me, it would be sight. I mean, I wouldn't want to get rid of hearing. Some of y'all probably already have. I wouldn't want to get rid of sense of smell. Some of y'all may be losing that. I wouldn't want to get rid of sense of, of, of tasting or touching. I wouldn't want to get rid of any of them. But I definitely wouldn't want to get rid of the sense of sight. Absolutely not. If I, if I had any one single thing of those, I would, that's, that is what I would have. Because it affects our whole body. It affects everything that we do. Now, can you live without eyesight? Sure, a lot, of, a lot of people do. But man, that would be one I would least want to live without because that's the one that gives direction. That's the one that helps me find where I'm supposed to go. And our eyes feed our hearts. And he says that light from, your, from, from eyes... If it's healthy, your whole body is going to be full of light. If it's bad, your whole body is going to be full of darkness. Ambition to serve God throws light on everything. Ambition to serve ourselves plunges us into darkness. It creates pride. It makes us self-indulgent. It crushes any sort of charity that you and I, that you and I may have. Serving ourselves brings us into darkness. And Jesus says in verse 23, If your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. If the, light is, if the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? How great it is. You know, something interesting about light that I was thinking about. When you turn, when it's dark in a room, the first thing that, 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 that I do, or most of you probably do, even before stepping foot inside of the room, is to reach in and turn on the light. Is any of y'all, even before walking into a room, you kind of just reach in and turn on the light? One? Anyone else do that? A few of you? Why? You want to see, right? You want to see. Jesus is, and, 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 and we turn on the light because it drives away the darkness. It drives away, it drives away the shadows. It drives away anything that we, that, that we possibly may be missing. It, bring, it sheds, uh, for lack of better terms, it sheds light on everything so that you and I will, will be able to see and not walk or stump our toe into it. And Jesus is saying this. He's saying if that light is darkness, the thing, that dry, the thing that's supposed to drive away every bit of darkness, if that light itself is dark, man, how great is it? If the very thing that's supposed to lead you to serving God is actually leading you to serve self, how terrible is it? It's in greed. It flows from a greedy heart. He's saying, Jesus is saying, I want you to focus on your heart. If we're focusing on hoarding things, if we're focusing on living for our wealth rather than our wealth serving us, he's saying our, high, our eyes are seeing nothing but darkness. Our eyes are dark. 
He's saying if a person can't tear their eyes away, for their, their gaze away from possessions and money, if they live for wealth, it's because their eyes and their hearts are corrupt. And if the eye is dark, there's no hope unless God reveals. It's impossible to do what is right until you see what is right. Right? And so Jesus' message, by the way, is not to try harder. Jesus' message is is to say, examine yourself. And so if we fail to follow Jesus, we need to examine ourselves. So where should I fix my eyes, is the question was. Where? First of all, you've got to figure out what you're fixated on. It's a diagnostic question. Ask yourself, why? Why is my life so fixated on material things, if it is? And the answer to that question is it's because our hearts are fixated on material things. If our eyes are fixated on it, it's because our hearts are. And secondly, not, not just as a diagnostic question, but Jesus gives it to us as a warning about the, da- about the danger of jealousy or envy. He says, don't set your eyes upon material treasures or even upon the, 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 the riches of others. It's a sin and it, can, and it can corrupt your heart. We have to examine ourselves. A lot of people, especially those who aren't saved, fix their lives on wealth because money is their God, but, but others truly love God and, they, and, and have fallen into bad habits. And this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Don't fall into these bad habits. We end up spending too much time looking at the wrong things. We end up spending too much time looking at the things that this world offers. We end up too, spending too much time in the mall or spending too much time looking on Amazon or Etsy or Best Buy or Cabela's Magazine. None of those things in and of themselves are bad. But we end up fixating our eyes and coveting those things rather than seeing what God has already provided. I love looking at Christian bookstore. But man, my wife will tell you, if I'm not careful, I can spend up, I can spend all of our extra money, even the money that's not extra, on books. Well, Billy, you're buying Christian books. Well, that's all right and good until I can't put food on the table. Then Christian books have become an idol. And they could be with anything. They could be with anything. And the world wants us to see this. The world wants us to be able to to behold and to look at this. It wants you to be able to see yourself behind the wheel of the latest and greatest car or truck. It wants you to be able to see that because that's how it's going to suck you into it. It wants you to be able to see the newest style or the cutest shoes or whatever. It wants The world wants you to be able to see that so that you can be sucked into that. And the Bible says, flee that temptation. Don't stir up in your heart something that, something that you realize that you know that God hasn't blessed you with or that, you, that you're not going to be able to have. Don't stir up envy by eyeing our friends' cars or our friends' clothes or, or, or their vacations. And way too often, let me say this, way too often we let others' Facebook be a gauge on how miserable our own lives are. 
We let all the we, we let all the good things that we see, and, and not just Facebook, any social media. We let all the good things that we see on other social media, and we and we use our lives as a gauge against theirs. They post they post the cute pictures of their kids, or their clothes, or their relationships, or their vacations. Realize this, and I, and I know many of you probably do, but please realize this, is that the pictures that people post, that's probably not all the pictures that they took. The pictures that they took, those five or six pictures that they took, are probably five or six out of about 50 that didn't turn out right, that didn't look well. They're posting only the best ones. They're, it's their highlight reel of what's going on. And then you and I end up Comparing our behind-the-scenes with their highlight reel. And we end up making ourselves miserable. So let me give you a word of advice there. Stop comparing your behind-the-scenes to their highlight reel. Because it's an unfair comparison. And it never works out the way you want it to. You don't see what happens behind closed doors. You don't see what happens when they're not taking pictures or videos. And so the envy that's driven up in your heart is simply a temptation thrown at you by the devil and you're taking it hook, line, and sinker. Don't do it. Again, it's not wrong to post nice pictures on Facebook. Post them. But friends, celebrate with others, especially Christian brothers and sisters. Celebrate when God's blessing them. Celebrate. And when you have good things happen, post them so people can celebrate with you. Or delete the whole thing. I mean, you can do that too. Then you don't have to worry about it. But be careful where we set our eyes. Be careful with advertisements and with and, and with and with and with visits to to friends that have it all to keep ourselves. Be, be careful. No, I'm not saying don't do it. Just be careful. Don't give yourself to envy. It's one thing to admire a beautiful home, a beautiful family, a beautiful relationship. It's another thing to to envy it. And in Christ, in Christ, you and I should have a good, a clear, a generous eye, serving others. Let me give you a couple lessons. First, if you can't take your eyes off of material things, if you, can't, if, you, if you find yourself living for the things of this world, ask yourself, how is my heart? How is my heart? And secondly, ask yourself, how is my soul? Because if there are problems going on, there, going on in the heart, then there may be issues in the soul. And there may be issues in your in mind in your relationship with God. Be content with what we have. The Lord has blessed us beyond anything we can imagine. I've heard it said this too often. You know, we worship at work. We worship our work. We work at our play and we play at our worship. We worship our work. We work at our play and we play at our worship. It's completely backwards to the way it should be. It's completely backwards to the way that, that Jesus, has, Jesus has made it. And if we worship our work, we're going to serve it, heart and soul. And Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. He said it's a choice. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Some of your Bibles use the word mammon. 
I like the word mammon. Actually, I like the word mammon better than money um, because mammon is traditionally translated as being a trusted thing. A trusted thing. It's more than just it's more than just money or a piece of paper or a number in a bank account. It's it's something that we put our trust in. That's what that's what the word mammon is used for there. And so and so Jesus is saying in our hearts we have to make a choice. Who are we going to serve? Are we going to serve our bank accounts or are we going to serve God? And to be sure. Some people try to serve those two, those two masters. Some people really try to do so. They, they, they honor God on Sunday if it's convenient. They serve their, they serve their work or their, or their, or their, or their money, really, uh, from Monday to Friday, and then they reserve Saturday for themselves. But this mindset, it, it, what it ends up doing is regarding faith as a hobby. Sunday is not, we don't just put God in a box and reserve him for Sunday. He is the Lord over every bit of it. But too often we, we, we compartmentalize God and a worship of him to Sunday as if it's some kind of hobby like gardening. God isn't a hobby. It's okay to have a hobby, but God's not one of them. You and I can work for two jobs, schedule permitting, but no one can belong to two masters. It's impossible. The Bible tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, he bought you and me. And, he, and the Bible uses this term for Christians. It's a term called doulos, which means slave. And when a master buys a slave, that slave belongs to him. And he does not want to share. And he is not willing to share. Money is not willing to share its slave with God. God is not willing to share his servants, another word is servant, his servant with money. He's not willing to do so. No one can belong to two masters. And if we try to, we end up doing something what's called Christian atheism. Christian atheism. It means you believe in God, but you live as though he doesn't exist. We say, I believe in God, but I don't pray. I believe in God, but I never give. I believe in God, but I never forgive. I believe in God, but I'm still anxious all the time. I believe in God, but I never attend church. I believe in God, but I never share my faith. I believe in God, but I'm ashamed of my past. I believe in God, but I, but I don't think he loves me. I believe in God, but I don't think he's fair. I believe in God, but I pursue my own happiness at all costs. I believe in God, but I trust my own heart more. I believe in God, but I, but I trust my own money more. I believe in God, but... It's a Christian atheist. Jesus is saying, don't do that. You can't serve two masters. Jesus is saying, you are to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Love God and use whatever he's blessed you with to serve him. The Bible tells us everything God's created is good. Everything that he has created is good and to be received with thanksgiving. So if God has blessed you and me, amen. 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 Wealth is not a sin. Wealth is not a sin. By no means. There were some incredibly wealthy men in the Bible who were incredibly faithful, Job being one of them. 
when the Lord allowed Satan to take it all away, which he can. He can. Job remained faithful even during the times of poverty, and the Lord made him that much richer. That doesn't mean God's going to make you and me materially rich if we have faith. What it does mean is that we keep our eyes on God no matter what. Secondly, material material possessions can be great servants, but they are always terrible masters. Material possessions can be great servants, but they are always terrible masters. What I mean by that is this, is that God has blessed you and me with, with certain things, and we can use them to bring glory and honor to his kingdom. We can use those things to raise our God up and proclaim his name and use it to serve him in so many ways. So they make great servants. But they're always terrible masters. And that they'll never bring the satisfaction and the hope that God can bring. They never will. There will never, ever be enough. So, Christian, have you committed your heart to serving the Lord? Have you committed your heart to letting whatever God has blessed you with be of service to the Lord? The challenge comes when in in that realm of diligence and consistency. We can lose sight of that divide between God and and stuff. And you and I can drift. It's so easy to. We can drift and 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 uh, and and a little bit of time later toward loving God, excuse me, toward loving and serving our stuff. And we can lose our discernment and we can lose our clarity and make one decision and then another on the base of possessions and on the base of stuff. And Jesus is telling us pray therefore pray that the Lord keeps our eyes clear, that our eyes remain clear, that our hearts remain clear, serving Him, serving and serving Him alone, that He might fill us with His light, as the Bible says, and with His truth and with His love, that He might finish a good work that He's began in us, that He might finish the sanctification that He began in us, all paid for by His Son at the cross. 